And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the uh, hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. It's Wednesday, of course. That means Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Talk about... Uh, is it better to invest in individual stocks or ETFs? We're going to talk about that today. Um, and particularly as we go into this year, more so than, than probably any other point in time, because there's so many things that are now happening within the overall market. And today's daily market commentary is a good example. Um, if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, you can click on the link for the daily market commentary uh, that we publish every day before the market opens. It's up now. And we're talking about zero DTE. Now, this is a term that most people have not heard of, but it stands for zero days to expiration. And right now, those are options that have basically less than 24 hours to expire. And we have more in individual investors buying those types of options now than pretty much any other point in, in recent history. And there's a, so it's a lot of speculations. People buying options are gonna expire in one day, um, just betting on a price move in one direction or another. Well, that causes stock price, that creates more volatility in the market, and that's why you see a lot of these outsized moves. Um, over the last couple of days, you know, we continue to see this market rally, uh, really ever since the beginning of the year. And as I was talking about with Charles Payne yesterday on Fox Business, we have that kind of, thing going right now that suggests that the market's off to a good start. Santa Claus came to visit uh, Broadenwall, uh, second day of January. That was the last day of the Santa Claus rally. We got the rally, so that showed up. The first five days of January have been positive. So that, so goes the first five days of January, so goes the month. Uh, if the month of January turns out to be positive, which at this point looks like it will be, unless we have a very sharp sell-off here over the next few days, um, so goes the month, so goes the year. So everything right now pointing to a bit more bullish context to the markets right now. And I know this is kind of hard to understand because we still have a lot of concerns, right? The Federal Reserve is still hiking rates. Um, they're certainly not going to like this market rally going into their Fed meeting. Consumer confidence has been picking up, right? So if we take a look at the recent consumer confidence numbers, those have started to show some improvement as gas prices have come down, as inflation has come down. Uh, consumers starting to feel a little bit better about their situation. Well, that's none of that's good. None of that's what the Fed wants. The Fed wants the opposite. They want less consumer confidence, lower stock prices, and a little bit more pain in the market. They want higher unemployment to bring wages down because their concern, of course, is a reacceleration of inflation and more importantly, what's called a wage price spiral. And that's where High wages continue to go up. That puts more problems on the economy. It also keeps inflation elevated. So that's so the market's doing exactly the opposite of what the Fed wants. And we do have that Fed meeting coming up here in just uh, about two weeks. So uh, again, it'll be won't be surprising here if Jerome Powell steps in and says, "Nah, we're not going to we're not playing this uh, game right now, homie. Homie, don't play that." Um, <laughs> and try to knock this market price down again because this is what they did here back in early December as well when we had the FOMC meeting there. Came out, very hawkish commentary, caused the market to sell off. So 
again, there is that risk and economic data certainly um, is still showing signs of weakness. The Empire Manufacturing Index, now that's the, M the manufacturing index for the New York region came out yesterday, huge decline, uh, really across every metric. Um, of that import. It was a it was a terrible report from the Empire Manufacturing Index. And while you sit there, well, that's just the New York region. Well, it also has a fairly high correlation to the overall ISM index. So that suggests that the Institute of Supply Management Index will also be lower when that comes out uh, here in the next few days. So again, we have, you know, this this kind of dichotomy in the markets. We have investors becoming much more bullish right now. Um, sentiment is improving, and yet the economic data still suggests that there's more work to do in the economy. Who's going to be right? Don't know. That's what we're going to figure out. Um, markets tend to lead the economy by about six months. So what the markets are trying to say is that, hey, six months from now, things are going to be a lot better. Don't worry about it. We'll see how, how we get there. But as we talked about yesterday, the market did break above the 200-day moving average. It is holding that. That little bit of a sell-off yesterday um, was actually good, came down, retested the 200-day moving average, held that all day long yesterday. So again, we have a, a potential test of that 200-day moving average. If the markets can rally today and futures are pointing up a little bit this morning, but if markets can rally a, a bit today, that will kind of confirm a very minor test of that 200-day moving average. So that's just a, a bit of a bullish setup here. We'll see how well that goes uh, you know, today as markets get going. Uh, but we still have our MACD signal still in place here. We're still in a buy signal suggesting higher prices. And I know this kind of conflates a lot of people because they're like, well, there's no reason markets should go up. There's so many of these other factors that I know. The bearish story is very easy. Markets tend to do the opposite of what you want them to do. <laughs> so, so one thing to follow along here is, is let the markets tell you what it wants to do rather than you trying to tell it to do because you're going to lose every single time. Uh, markets are much bigger than you. Uh, so again, just keep a watch on this. We do have you know, several kind of you know, bullish things that are setting up. We have a, a, a defined wedge pattern here in the markets, a consolidation of prices. Prices are moving up above important resistance levels. So these are all kind of bullish setups for the market, suggesting that we could have a bit more of a rally here. Now, again, I'm not talking about a bull market rally all year long, but over the short term, we could see a bit more bullish tenor to the markets. And if the Fed does come out in February and talk about, hey, we're hiking rates 25 basis points as expected, and there's any type of relief in the language in terms of, you know, maybe one more rate hike or, a, a pause potentially of, of uh, tighter monetary policy, that's certainly going to be a bullish catalyst to stocks as well. But again, lots of things to also counterweight that argument. Earnings are still weak. We're seeing earnings come in right now. Um, earnings guidance is coming down. Uh, it's very early right now. We're just like in the third day of earnings, but already starting to see more companies talking about weaker outlooks, earnings, profit margins, those type of things. So those are things to pay attention to um, as we go through earnings season. And again, we'll update you as we kind of go along there. Um, outside of that, when we get into economic data kind of across the board, retail sales out today. Now this is gonna be kind of an important look at, and this is, so this is retail sales for December. So this will be the important look at just how robust those retail sales were over the Christmas shopping season and will tell us a good bit about 
the consumer and, and really the strength of the consumer. We already know that consumers went into much more credit card debt in November and in December in order to make ends meet. And of course, a lot, a lot of that credit card spending just on things like buying groceries <laughs> because wages and savings have pretty much evaporated here. But this will be the first real kind of look at just how robust that spending actually was. You know, we got a lot of reports from from the National Retail Federation and others, uh, you know, the, the groups that support the retailers. Uh, they always come out with overly optimistic, you know, results of the shopping season and tell you how great things were. Well, this is going to be the first shot across the bow in terms of what really happened in terms of retail sales and, and of course, just how strong that consumer is because, again, why is that important? 70% of the economy is driven by consumption. That's where earnings come from. That's the stuff that you're buying. That's the stuff that you're, you're doing in the economy. That's what generates the revenue for companies that generates earnings. So what the retail sales tell us, tells us a lot about what to expect out of earnings for the rest of this year as the consumer is either getting stronger or getting weaker. We'll talk more about that after the break and we'll get into should you buy stocks? Or should you buy ETFs? What is actually better for you? Uh, the pros and the cons. We'll talk about that in more detail right after the break with Danny Ratliff. But like I said, get by the website, subscribe to the newsletter, our daily commentary, more. It's on the website now, along with our new Before the Bell feature on YouTube. Be sure and subscribe to that channel as well. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Housekeeping. Getting your financial house in order for the new year need not be a tedious task. Our next Candid Coffee will get you ready for the fiscal roller coaster 2023 promises to be with financial tips and talk. Saturday, January 28th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Housekeeping Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And good morning. Welcome back to the show. It's The Real Investment Show. Uh, as I said just before going out of the uh, last segment, uh, be sure by the website. Our daily commentary is out today already. It's on the website. So if you subscribe to that, we email it to you every morning. Um, before the market opens. You get it at 7.30 right on the dot. It has our market trading update for the day, kind of where we are. Today we have a stock screen in there about stocks to look at, uh, which will go to our conversation in a second about stocks versus ETFs. Um, but also um, we have just kind of, uh, you know, it's a quick read, three, four minutes, kind of highlights of the markets, things are going on. But again, kind of that interesting commentary about zero DTE, zero days to expiration, talking about what the options is doing to the markets right now and where investors are speculating. Um, but while you're there, be sure and subscribe to our Before the Bell feature that's on YouTube. And we have, you know, of course, two YouTube channels now. We have one for the, this show. And so if you're watching this show, thank you very much. Be sure and subscribe. Hit that little bell. Subscribe. Uh, we appreciate the subscriptions. Helps us. Um, but also our new Before the Bell feature has its own channel as well. So make sure and subscribe to that so you can choose which one you want. But that's a three-minute uh, pre-market video that comes out every morning as well. It talks about the markets, what's happening. Um, 
Some headlines this morning, of course, coming out. U.S. stock futures making some small gains this morning. Uh, again, as I said, markets kind of rallied above the 200-day moving average yesterday, sold off a little bit, held that 200-day moving average. So we've had an, a, an initial test. So if the markets can rally today and hold this rally all day, um, that'll be a very minor initial test of that breakout above the 200-day moving average. That's very encouraging. Uh, Treasury is also gaining in price yields coming down, and uh, you know that's going to see you know a bid here. Uh, you know we've already talked about you know yields will be lower this year. Uh, the 6040 uh, portfolio is back. Um, this year and very likely, as we've said before, it will outperform stocks and particularly the new 6040 model should be 60% bonds, 40% stocks. Um, it, it seems to be kind of the uh, growing case uh, between financial managers in the markets right now. Uh, yen is down this morning as well. Um, the Japanese yen was down about 1.2% this morning versus the dollar. Uh, Bank of Japan kept their interest rates unchanged, and, and, and they're having all kinds of problems with yield control. Um, you know, there's there's these things that we do. Modern monetary theory was a great experiment in theory, failed in reality. Well, now you see what yield curve control does in theory. It's supposed to it's supposed to work great for the economy, completely failed. So, you know, theory and reality often turns out to be very two very different things. Um, Global markets were a little bit mixed this morning, and oil's up as the IEA, that's the uh, uh, International Energy Association, they are saying that uh, oil demand will be up because of the China reopening. So we'll we'll see if China actually gets reopened or not. That's going to be one of the big questions. Of course, they just report, we talked about yesterday, China reported GDP uh, coming in at a very strong rate of 2.9%. Now, this is after completely locking down their economy. They still had strong economic growth. Of course, China just tells you what they want their growth to be. What their actual growth is could be two very different things. <laughs> you may want to ask people on the ground in China what their economic growth was. Um, uh, today is a lot of earnings really starting to kick off. We've uh, still in the financials, uh, PNC, Schwab, uh, JB Hunt Transportation Services, Kinder Morgan this morning, along with Alcoa. So it started to get some, you know, some diversity, but right now still into the financials really coming into report. And as I said um, in the first segment today, we have a ton of economic data out this morning, starting at, uh, at seven o'clock a.m. Central Time. Uh, mortgage applications were up 28 uh, percent from last month on a small downtick in rates. But retail sales, uh, PPI final demand, uh, excluding food and energy. So we'll see producer price indexes. So we'll see what inflation is doing. Is it easing for producers? We'll see if that, what happens there today. And of course, we watch that spread between the producer price index and the consumer price index because those two tell us about whether or not companies can pass along those higher cost to consumers. And then speaking of consumers, we'll have retail sales out this morning and we'll get the first real glimpse at just how robust or not December was. So we'll have a lot of data to work with this morning um, to start kind of giving us some feeling for you know just how strong the economy is right now heading into the new year. So that's your headlines for this morning. And uh, let's jump over to Danny Ratliff this morning. How are you, sir? Doing great. How about you? Good. So Stocks versus ETFs, um, you know, that's going to be, it, it, it's, you know, for the last 12 years, it's been an easy choice. You just buy an ETF and just everything goes up. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like the stock picking may be a, a, a bit better way to manage markets. 
It's an age-old dilemma, Lance. Yeah, I mean, you know, and this this is why, you know, even here within RIA, we manage two different types of portfolios, one with ETFs and one with equities, you know, an emphasis on each. And I think this is a, you know, for some people, it's about being comfortable, mm -hmm. right? I mean, some people have never invested in a stock or they've only heard horror stories of somebody who invested in Enron or, um, you know, Bear Stearns or whatever it may be that just really took it on the chin. And you hear about people getting wiped out. Well, most of the time people are getting wiped out because they have all their eggs in one basket. Right. But um, I think it's going to really determine and, and really be what people are comfortable with, number one, but what type of environment that we are in. You know, a lot of people have never invested in a stock. They've only invested inside the 401k. That's the only avenue they've had to put funds aside. And so they're very comfortable with the mutual fund or maybe an ETF now because they are becoming more prevalent within those types of accounts. And they, they just are not ready to go out and start purchasing individual stocks. But I think now you could probably make an argument where you said last 12 years, you could just set it and forget it, throw it in, a, in an ETF. Whereas now, maybe because of what we've seen in the markets, stocks are going to provide a little bit better opportunity if you know how to pick them. Right. Well, and that's going to be the question. I mean, it's it's and again, what we've seen here at the beginning of this year is right. Markets are doing very well. Um, but if you'd been buying the some of the fundamentally worst, most shorted stocks since the beginning of this year, um, you'd already be up 20, 30 percent for this year. You just have to be committed to buy crappy companies. Yep. <laughs> and but they, they they've been doing well. And there's nothing. That's what markets do, right? Well, and so, that's the kicker. Nobody wants to buy them when they're down. Everybody yeah, wants well, to buy them after they've gone up twenty percent. Right. Well, exactly. And then, but of course, also too. Again, we're not buying. We're not, not talking about buying quality companies either, right? So you know, Apple, Microsoft, those type of companies have not rallied that much this year. Uh, companies like uh, Marathon Digital, which is a blockchain uh, company, right? It's up like fifty percent already. Coinbase. Yeah. which was on the verge of bankruptcy last year in theory because of what was going on with the cryptocurrency FTX fiasco is up like 50% this year. So if you've just been willing to step into the pond and buy companies that were on the verge of going bankrupt, you've made a lot of money this year so far. So you can just sell those, lock it up, go home for the year, you're done. Yeah, but let's, let's talk a little bit about like why somebody, especially now we're talking about stocks versus ETFs, but why somebody would own something like a Microsoft, Amazon, type of position at the moment, which, by the way, we do own both of right, those. Right. Yeah. Well, no. So you have to start looking at your portfolio from kind of a different perspective. So one, why do we have, I think we need to step back the conversation here real quick and talk about yeah. why do we have an ETF portfolio and why do we have a stock portfolio? And maybe what what an ETF is as well, because I'm sure there's some people out there yeah. saying, okay, what is that? Okay. So yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. So an exchange traded fund is basically a mutual fund without a manager. Um, so um, an ETF is just a different way to create a mutual funds. It's basically a basket of stocks. So I can go buy an S&P ETF and it has in the ETF is all 500 stocks of the S&P 500. So it's, it basically is a representation of the index. And, and, and so we call these passive ETFs. You just buy them and basically you're supposed to hold them and the market goes up or down and you go up or down with the market or the sector or whatever it's invested in versus owning the individual stocks. The, the interesting thing is, is that the reason that we have two is that some people just aren't suited for owning individual stocks. And, and what I mean by that is, is that if you look at a portfolio of, of, say, you have a portfolio of 30 stocks, right? And the only one you focus on is the one that's down. Um, you probably shouldn't own individual stocks because, <laughs> you know, there's never going to be a case that every stock you pick is going to be higher. 
So an ETF might be better for you. Look, if, if that were the case, th this coffee cup would be a coconut, okay? Exactly. With an so, umbrella in it. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, you know, if, if you're okay, and, and look, a lot of people just don't like the volatility in stocks, right? So stocks go up a lot, stocks can go down a lot. I mean, Goldman Sachs was a good, good example yesterday. Stock was down like 8% yesterday. Oh my gosh, right? Um, market wasn't, right? Market was only down about 20 bips. So for people that don't like volatility, you probably shouldn't own individual stocks because it's going to lead you to make really bad decisions. You'll start, you know, selling things that, you know, have a one day break on some piece of news and then rally right back up. And then you're all frustrated because you sold it and then it came back up and it just gets into a whole bunch of problems. So again, you just need to think about your own personality about owning individual equities. Does it actually fit your mental and personal characteristics. And if you don't like volatility, if you don't like risk, if you don't like big changes, um, if you don't like turnover, right, the, the buying and selling of, of securities, don't buy individual stocks, buy an ETF. There's nothing wrong with that. ETFs provide a very stable way to own the market. You'll, you'll get performance with the market over time, um, and you'll get it at a fairly low cost, right? There won't be a lot of turnover. But one thing you do start to give up and, and the advantages of owning individual stocks is that you do have. And, and again, it, we'll talk about diversification of accounts as well with this, because mm -hmm. owning individual stock portfolios also give you some tax advantages, but only if you buy them inside of a taxable account. So, you know, there's there's, you know, things to look at. And when you're allocating money, if you have an IRA, as an example, you know, be super conservative with your IRA that you know a lot of people go I'm taking all my risk in my IRA because if I make a bunch of money I don't have to pay taxes on it right especially my Roth I'm going to take all my risk in Roth no 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 buy your bonds in your IRA or your Roth right because income from bonds is taxed at normal income taxes that's deferred or that's income that's tax-free that's that's taxed at your normal income tax rate buy your stocks in your taxable account where you can write off your losses Dividends get taxed at 20%, but you can manage your tax liability better inside of a taxable account. You give all those benefits up inside of an, uh, uh, an IRA or Roth. So be super conservative in your Roth. Take your risk in your taxable account and, and manage it accordingly. We'll talk more about this on the other side of the break with Danny Ratliff as well. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Housekeeping. Getting your financial house in order for the new year need not be a tedious task. Our next Candid Coffee will get you ready for the fiscal roller coaster 2023 promises to be with financial tips and talk. Saturday, January 28th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Housekeeping Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff here as well. Uh, let's finish up our conversation about stocks versus bonds. So look, it just, the, the, you know, if you don't know how to pick an individual stock. Stock versus ETFs. Yeah, sorry. Stocks versus ETFs. Stocks versus bonds. Stocks versus ETFs. We'll get into Two bonds Two different in discussions. I know, yeah. right. So stocks versus ETFs. 
if you don't know how to pick a stock, if you don't know how to analyze a stock, etc., if you don't know, understand some basic technical analysis, don't buy stocks. Buy ETFs. There's nothing wrong with buying an ETF. Nothing wrong with that at all, right? You can buy ETFs with high dividend yields if you're, uh, you know, a dividend yield guy um, or gal. Um, you know, so just, just you know, kind of know what fits yourself personality-wise because, you know, you don't want to be waking up all night long, you know, fretting over some position. That's what I do, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's my job is to sit up all night and worry about things that are going on in portfolios. You shouldn't do that. Um, and so, you know, ETF, there's nothing wrong with ETFs. That's why we have an ETF portfolio that we run because it's a much calmer portfolio. Um, but we were talking about just for the break about, you know, uh, you know, what to put into what account. So, you know, if you're a person that is going to buy Microsoft as an example and never sell it, right? You're like, I'm going to buy this. I'm just going to sit on it for the next 500 years. And you swear that you're never going to sell it. You can buy that in an IRA or an ETF, and, and hopefully your gains will either be tax-deferred or tax-free. That's fine. But if you're actually going to manage your portfolio, as I was saying before, do that in a taxable account. Buy your stocks, individual stocks, in a taxable account so that you can take advantage of your tax loss selling at the end of the year and tax loss harvesting and things that we've talked about you know, here on the show from that time. That only works inside of a taxable account, not an IRA. So if you're kind of a buy-and-hold person, then, you know, either buy your ET you can buy ETFs and just sit on them inside of an IRA or Roth. Do that over there. But be more conservative. And, and this is what I was talking about uh, before the break. You know, if you know, do the things that you're going to hold for a long period of time or things that have very low volatility, do that in your tax free or tax deferred accounts because, you know, you don't have to worry as much about the tax situation that you might be giving up. So just you can you can use types of accounts to also help you manage your portfolio better to take advantage of the tax laws that we have to help you increase your returns over time. So just finishing up that conversation. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand. So look, an ETF can be a great place for somebody to get started. I think too many times, especially young people, want to jump mm -hmm. in and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to go buy this stock. I have access. I can go get on E-Trade yeah. or whatever it is. And they start trading quickly. Showing my age with E-Trade, right? Right. <laughs> It's, uh, <laughs> you know, back in the day, they had these uh, vacuum tubes that we'd send orders yeah, to the trading yeah. desk. <laughs> yeah. But no, it, it's a great point. Um, you know, I used this. I talked about with this um, with Adam a, a few weeks ago um, on the show and, and, you know, talking about, you know, buying individual stock. And we were talking about, you know, teaching, you know, uh, kids to be better investors over time. And yep. the one thing that we do that is terrible in school is that and and, and every Stop time picking games for three months? Yeah, it, I, and every time somebody call, every time one of these things go off, I get emails from people like, "Hey, my son's got the the stock picking class, uh, you know, it, it's got this investing class at school this semester, and they need to pick stocks." And I was like, "Go buy, go find penny stocks and just buy penny stocks because that's the whole game, right?" All these classes do is they say, "Buy you, you've got a hundred thousand dollars as an example. Go buy some stocks, and whoever does the best at the end of the semester wins the competition." Right? So this is all supposed to be teaching our kids how to invest in the stock market. No, it just teaches them how to gamble. Right? So they go buy the riskiest stocks. They buy penny stocks. They go up a thousand percent because they went from a penny to five or ten, and you know, <laughs> and they win the game. Um, but that's not teaching them to invest. So it's a horrible way. And I wish schools would stop this because we're not teaching our children to be financially responsible. By the way, kudos to Florida and Ron DeSantis, who have now passed a bill to include f 
financial education as part of the curriculum in high school, uh, teaching kids to balance a checkbook, teaching kids the basics of economics and how to how, how to basically manage their household credit, the evils of credit card debt, et cetera. We need that in Texas. We need it everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is such I don't, a lack look, of... Look, I don't care about California. I care about Texas. So we need it in Texas. Um, you know, if you're going to pass... We really need it in California. <laughs> Maybe the politicians. The politicians need it in California. True. Um, especially since they just passed, you know, a $50 billion financial debacle. But anyway, that's another story. Um, well, but but I think a good point is that, that as, you know, instead of teaching kids and, and really anybody as you're stepping into investing to speculate, teaching them how to become a long-term investor would be better. An ETF can provide a great avenue, especially if you don't have the resources or the time to actually actively mm -hmm. go out and, and have a discipline. I mean, the problem many times when you see somebody buy a stock is they don't they get in. They don't know when they're going to get out, if it's going to be, you well, know, where's your where's your sell, right? Yeah. Well, no, that's and that's the beauty of an ETF. So, uh, you know, what what I teach my kids to do and and is the first thing you want to do if, if somebody wants to start investing, if one of your children wants to start investing, that's great. Buy them an S&P 500 ETF. So just buy SPY. Um, Vanguard has one called IVE, I think, or IVV. Um, so just buy them an S&P index. Now, put $500 into it. And, and the goal of this is, is to teach them to watch this ETF and watch it go up and down and then talk to them about what's making it go up and down. Economic news financial news, whatever it is, is causing this to go up and down. And that teaches them how the market works, what drives market changes. Then you can eventually graduate from once you kind of learn how the market works, then you can graduate into, OK, now understand what the, why the market's working. So what's making energy stocks go up more than consumer stocks? And then we, you can start working on that. And you have sector ETFs that you can then buy an energy ETF versus a consumer ETF and and start learning how that works. Once you learn the basics of how the market works, then you could start to venture out into individual stocks because now you understand how the market works. And, and the analogy that I used with Adam was, is imagine that your son comes to you, he turns 16, and he comes to you and says, okay, I'm ready to start driving. I went and got my driver's license. So you walk him into the garage, and there is a car that is completely disassembled in, in the garage. And you say, okay, well, put your car together. And he's never seen a car before, right? This <laughs> is a great idea, actually. But they'll drive in like 16 years yeah, exactly. after that, right? <laughs> but the, but, but the, the point is, is that they've never seen a car before. And now there's all these parts and they, they, you know, they don't even know how to put it together, right? And so this is, this is the problem with, with stocks. And you go buy all these individual pieces, you don't know how to put it together into a portfolio. So ETFs are great for teaching you about how the car works, right? So get in the car drive it, understand how the car works, and then you can start w learning how to disassemble it to fix things, right? Well, you used to be able to do that. You can't do that with these new cars anymore, but back in the day, that's what we did. Um, with no Google. When we had video. YouTube. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, how did you do it back then? I mean, well, with stone you, tablets, Lance? Well, you used to get a car, you used to get a car, right? And it came with a user's manual that told you how to, you know, change your spark plugs and, and set your timing on your car yeah. and all these type of things, right? Now, the user manual says, don't stick your tongue in the lighter socket. 
Um, don't drink the battery water. Don't drink the battery. I mean, it's no longer yeah. a user manual anymore of how to fix your car and how to maintain it. It's, it's a what you, not to do for dummies. Exactly. Well, you got to have a college degree in computer science to work on these cars now, but too. But it's doable. It's doable. It is, but it's not the same. It is not the same. And, and nobody's going to have that one part that they now <laughs> you have to have. You know, it's not anybody's yeah. toolbox. It's... <laughs> It, it's going to be something you have to order from somewhere that'll Big, take you a year. Biggest frustration growing up was when they switched over from standard to metric, and, <laughs> yes. and all, all of my wrench, none of my wrenches fit my car. So, <laughs> and all the spare parts you had in those bins, yeah, they don't, they don't work anymore. anymore. <laughs> so, that just completely ruined my yeah. whole race car career. Mind anyway, blowing. that's why I'm now in finance. Um, we still use American it metrics. Was easier. Well, no, now they're trying to screw that up as well with this new math thing. So. Oh, so. man. I mean, don't even get me started on this. I can't, you know, I've got degrees in this stuff, okay? Right. And trying to do whatever they're calling it, core math. Core math. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. It is core it is garbage. garbage. Like, I, I can't even, some of the stuff that my daughter does in fourth grade, I'm like, yeah, go ask your mom. Yeah. She's like, you deal with this stuff for a living? I'm like, not this stuff. Yeah. Well, no. Nobody does. I, I actually, so my son came to me when he was in school. My oldest, he now lives in the UK. He's just moved. Um, but he came to me and he needed help with math. And so I helped him with his math test. And I was showing him how to, he was like, do you draw in all these boxes and square? I was like, look, here's here's A and B and you add this together, divide by this, and this is it, right? And like, done. It's super easy. So I teach him how to do math my way and he failed his test. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he may have got the right answers. All the but he answers didn't get were the, right, but yeah. he didn't do it the yeah. correct way that the teacher wanted it. I'm like, this is really inefficient, but hey, that's a different story. Anyway, talking about efficiency, back to the markets. Uh, so, you know, ETFs versus stocks, look, there's a case to be made for both. Um, you know, but again, as I said, it, it really is to think about your personality. And, and it may sound alluring and appealing to want to own individual stocks. But, you know, if you're panicking every time a position goes down or that, you know, you have, you know, something's not functioning right within the portfolio and you're panicking, making big rash decisions about the whole portfolio versus one or two individual components, equities probably aren't for you. Just buy ETFs. You'll be much happier and you'll and ultimately you're going to get the same results over time. So well, but but in this environment, I think we can make an argument. So if we're going to argue against ETFs versus equities, and I think that there's right ones for each each individual, and you need to know yourself and understand what works best for you. Right. But in an environment like this, when you understand fundamentals, when you understand technicals, and really fundamentals have been thrown out the window for how many years, <laughs> but now and you can actually might kind of be sift making a comeback. Through. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be able to sift through the rubble and find some some really nice opportunities yeah. with individual equities if you know what you're doing. Well, and you've got the patience to let them work. Yeah. Right? They may not be working right now. Good point. Right. And we'll talk about that on this other break. So should you buy stocks this year or ETFs? We'll talk about that when we come back from break. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
housekeeping. Getting your financial house in order for the new year need not be a tedious task. Our next Candid Coffee will get you ready for the fiscal roller coaster 2023 promises to be with financial tips and talk. Saturday, January 28th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Housekeeping Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. back to the show of course uh just wrapping up a conversation about buying individual stocks versus etfs and you know as uh as i was saying a second ago you know the thing that we want to kind of pay attention to is is what you know the opportunities are and you know this year the markets may not do a whole lot in terms so if i buy an etf as an example and the market let's just say the market's flat this year it doesn't do anything right you're not going to make any money. The market will be flat. But in a year where there's volatility and you're, if you're willing to trade stocks and you're willing to buy and sell, there's an opportunity to make money with individual issues. And, and so this is kind of the, the one thing to kind of think about as, you know, we head into this year is that this year is likely going to be another year of volatility. Uh, we're going to have rallies in the markets up. They're going to sell off because of economic news, earnings news, whatever it is. Then they're going to find a bottom and they're going to rally back up again. And then the Fed's going to stop hiking rates and the market's going to rally and then, you know, so forth and so on. Right. So, you know, if you're buying individual stocks, you're likely going to perform better than just owning a broad based ETF on a buy and hold basis. Right. If you're owning the ETF now, you can buy and sell ETFs every day, just like stocks. So, you know, if you can, you know, buy ETFs to participate with a market advance and then sell it as the market declines. You can even short the market if you're, if you're you know, not adverse to risk. But you can do that with ETFs as well. So you can, you can trade ETFs just like you trade individual stocks. But again, it comes down to your personal tolerance. And, and again, there's not an argument to be made for one over the other. It really comes down to your personality and how you know what really works for you and again if you're doing something that's keeping you up all night it's not worth it right well, and, and steve mentions on our youtube channel at the real investment show that um you know there are actively managed etfs and so that is another option but you do lose some tax efficiency in that aspect and you don't technically get to go in and do some tax loss harvesting that you're going to be able to personalize whereas if you own an individual stock portfolio you have positions that are down now we can go in, do tax loss harvesting throughout the year. We can make sure and we can personalize that for each individual. So there's a little bit of differences between those and then understanding what the fees are associated with it. You know, a big problem I see, Lance, is like, especially with mutual funds, you know, we don't we don't own any mutual funds. And maybe what, every blue moon, it's been mm -hmm. what, four years, maybe five yep. years since we've owned one. But, you know, what happens is you have a money manager who's managing funds and they go pick a bunch of mutual funds. And now all of a sudden, your fees just start adding up. Right. Or they go pick another money manager. So why have a money manager that goes and picks a money manager? Right. Well, and active ETFs, uh, again, they, they sound great in theory, but they don't. They often don't outperform the market. You're generally just as well off just buying a passive index ETF. Um, 
Well, and I think a lot of people also with ETFs and just passive or active, they, yeah. they think that you mentioned earlier, like, well, maybe potentially lower volatility because you don't have that concentrated stock position. And, you know, the, I think the kicker is if you're buying individual stocks, you're not buying it for half of your portfolio or all of your portfolio. You're buying it for, you know, two, three, four, five percent of it and investing in other companies as well. Whereas you're still going to have issues and, and you're going to have volatility. If you go buy the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, you bought QQQ last year, you're down 32%. I think that's that's quite yeah. a bit of volatility. <laughs> yeah, that's a bunch. And that's not necessarily the soft landing that we keep being promised. That's right. Uh, just interestingly enough, so we're just talking about the market rally this year. Uh, so far, you know, there's a lot of stocks up 30%. So I just went ran a quick scan um, of how many stocks, and this is across all stocks, this isn't just the S&P 500. So how many stocks are up more than 30% so far in the last month, right? So 506 are up 30% or more over the last month. 505 of those are below $10. So they're they're essentially penny stocks, more or less. Well, and, and, and if you want to get into the penny stocks, out of those 500 and, and um, what did I say, 560? Out of the 560, 386 of them are below $5. So the point is, is that this rally, while it may look like, you know, you're hearing a lot of headlines right now about, Oh, these stocks are up, you know, 30%, whatever. A lot of these stocks that are currently $9, $10, uh, Marathon Digital is a good example. Marathon Digital just a few weeks ago was under $2 a share. It's now $9. Now, again, would you buy, you know, now being financially smart. Now, if you're a speculator, you can go out all day long and buy, you know, $2 stocks. More often than not, you're going to wind up with a bankruptcy case on your hands. Um particularly in this environment that we're heading into. But there's a lot of money that can be made if you've got if you're willing to take a lot of risk. But the point is is that from an investment standpoint, if you're an investor and you're taking a look at, you know, you're hearing these stories about headlines like there's stocks up 30% this year and you're missing out. Yeah, be careful with that, right? There's a tremendous amount of risk. And these are names that you've never heard of and most of these companies have no earnings, they have no revenue. They're very speculative stocks in just every measure of, of speculation, right? Just but that's usually gambling. when you're hearing about them anyway. Right, you get right. in the mail, you're at the mailbox, your neighbor says, oh, man, I'm killing it this week. Yeah. And then you say, well, shoot, what is it? I'm going to get in that too. Yeah, uh, exactly. And this is where you know people get themselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, these are the most shorted uh, stocks. They're the most fundamentally unsound. And, and, and again, this is just part and parcel of what's going on with the markets and as we talked about in our daily commentary today, you know, part of the issue are these zero DTE options. These are zero days to expiration options, which now make a big chunk of the options market that this is where investors are now speculating. Instead of buying stocks, they're just buying options with less than one day to expiration, hoping for a big move in one direction or the other to, to make money. So, again, there's a lot of things that are going on in this market that's not as obvious as it seems. And so you want to be a little bit careful about how you're investing your money. Yeah. So, you know, not to switch two gears too much here, but, you know, China, we talked about that a little bit earlier mm -hmm. in the show, talking about a slowdown and understanding what these numbers actually mean. So, you know, growth was significantly lower, what, 2.9%. Yep. But talk a little bit about what what is the demographic issue posed with China? Because this is the first time in... I think ever, they had more people die than they had births this this last year. I think it was like nine hundred thousand. 
you talk about a population of like 1.3, 1.4 billion. Yeah. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, China's had a demographic problem for a long time and they're it's going to get worse for them. But they, they had a one child policy for a long time because when you have a billion people in your country, you know, you're sitting there going, I got to control the population. So they had a one child policy that devastated their demographic base. Yep. So they have a very and, and Japan has the same problem. We have the same problem. Um, ours is not as pronounced as theirs. Not as pronounced, but we still have the same problem. Right. And look, Social Security just came out yesterday um, with their, again, their annual dire warning about they're going to run out of trust funds in uh, 2033. Um, but this is because we have too many people taking out of Social Security and too few people paying in. And we keep adding more and more people to the rolls. Um, you know, when people come here through immigration, they wind up getting Social Security. I mean, there's just all these people that we keep adding into the role of taking out of Social Security that we don't have enough workers paying into. So this is always one of the ongoing debates is how are we going to fix the problem? Nobody wants to fix the problem because it's not politically electable <laughs> if you want to fix the problem. Um, if you want to fix the problem, you've got to raise the Social Security cap to get more people to pay more Social Security and for especially higher income earners uh, to pay into it. But well, they, they will. I mean, they, it's going well, to be done. That's not electable. <laughs> well, none of it is. But at some point, you have to make a change. I mean, and it's really rather easy to actually do this. I mean, mm -hmm. you can do a couple small things like they did back in the 80s, where if you're born between 55 and, and 60, they increased it by two months every single year until they raised it full retirement age from 66 to 67. That's something that's achievable. Now, it's probably tough when life expectancy declined uh, for you to make that argument. But... You take away, you shrink the tax, the, the brackets for Medicare surcharges. You increase uh, what you're actually, what people are actually paying into Social Security. You know, mm -hmm. people are capped out. You take that cap away. I mean, these are going to be some of the easier arguments for who, people to do. Who are the people that donate to political campaigns? Companies. And rich people? Yeah. <laughs> but rich people aren't, but look, most rich people aren't paying or they're not paying. You think they're getting a, most of these guys aren't getting some big uh, salary. They're paid in stock. They're paid in other ways that aren't going to be taxed for Social Security. I'm just saying. Uh, hey, I, <laughs> I hear you, but, I'm, but, I was, but the thing and, I know, think that people are missing. I, 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 look, I, I'm playing with you. No, I, I absolutely agree with you that these are all changes that need to get made if you want to have Social Security. You know, but People you will also, find a way around paying taxes. But I don't disagree. But at some point, you've got to go back to what Social Security was supposed to be. To also, to you, you know, we, you know, we added firemen and Correct. we added, you know, um, you know, widows and orphans and all these people, you know, onto Social Security roles that are outside of what Social Security was supposed to be for. Social Security was supposed to be you paid into it, you when you worked, you retired, and this was your, you, you know, this was your pension, so to speak. Well, it we, was, it was, we, it became a, it became a, a honeypot for every political advantage that somebody yeah. wanted in Washington. Well, it was the icing on the cake because back then everybody had pensions. We right. had manufacturing. We had sure. the unions. I mean, things were much different in that time versus where we are today. And I agree. You know, we've seen that they've thrown every different benefit inside the same big pot where really they probably should have set these, you know, they should have been part and parcel on the side, should have had their own funding. Yep. And, you know, when you have many more people that are taking from it than putting in, that's the bigger issue. But... Social Security is not going to go anywhere. Too many people rely on it for a major part of their retirement. Lance, a quarter of people who are retired right now, 
a quarter. <laughs> rely on it for 90%. 62% of retirees retire. Rely on it for 50% of their retirement income. I'm no way. I'm not, no argue, way. not arguing that it just requires 120% of our revenue to pay for it, but, you know. So taxes, so but, have, but taxes won't go up. As long as you don't have a debt problem. Well, you have all that. <laughs> you have a lot of problems. <laughs> Hey, I, and, I bet, I bet and, politicians and, still collect their pension, though. And Wednesday ain't one of them. And that's, that wraps up the Wednesday show right here with Danny Ratliff. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Michael Leewood's uh, Fed coming up on deck. We'll talk about what to expect from the Fed covering that tomorrow. Uh, be sure and get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Subscribe to the Daily Commentary. Make sure you subscribe to the new, U, uh, the new YouTube channel before the bell for our three-minute pre-market updates. Uh, it's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.